uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. I'm going to focus on verse 25 today, but let me read verses 25 through 30. Philippians 2, 25. The Apostle Paul says, But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The word of the Lord. Now this morning the Apostle Paul is going to place in front of us the man who gets the most ink. And if you're, maybe you have to be old enough to remember that term, maybe, right? Ink, I don't know, maybe you guys don't get as much print material. When we were growing up, you wanted your name in the paper. If you, if you made 20 points, you wanted some ink in the paper. Now, I don't know, where do you get your ink these days? Maybe it's on Facebook, maybe it's on something. But, but the guy in the book of the Philippians, the guy that gets the most ink is Epaphroditus. Do you know who that is? <laughs> Say his name three times real fast, see how good you get. Do you know who that is? Most of us don't know who this is. Now, all through this book, we've been working on the fact that this is a book written for harmony in the church. And just as a re little, little rehash here, as you and I go out and face the world shoulder to shoulder, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hearts, and we are to hold fast we're to hold it forth. We're to stand out and we're to shine that light of the gospel into everybody as we leave this place. We are one heart in that area. We're also being taught all the way through the letter that as we face each other, we are to have fellowship with each other as we drink our coffee together. And, you know, we, we, I've watched some shows every now and then and we sit there and think about... Uh, how much drinking goes on in some of these movies I watch? You know, they're drinking this and they're drinking this and they're drinking this. We sit down and we, have, we communicate over coffee all the time. Who would have ever thought in the 19, 1996 that there would be this many coffee shops? But this is where we have fellowship. This is where we talk things over. This is where we stay in love with our wives many times. We keep doing those things. And so we come to the end of chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul has told us to have the mind of Christ in chapter 2, verse 5. He shows us Jesus, and he shows us what his mind is like. The mind of Jesus Christ is to do the will of God even to the point of dying. And then he gives us three examples of three men. The first person he gives us is himself. And you can go look at verse 17, 18, 19. That's about Paul. And you can go, I mean, 17 and 18. Then verses 19 through 24, that's about Timothy. And then you come to verses 25 to 30, and this is about Epaphroditus. What an interesting person, Epaphroditus. What an interesting name. He says, you and I, in verse 29, are to hold men like this in high regard. 
When I think about that term, hold men like this and how I regard it, it reminds me when Satan comes in front of God and, and God looks at him and says, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like this on the face of the planet. And then he says, You know what, you know what Job is like? Back, back when, when I was in the gym, people used to always use this word called buffed. Oh, he's buff. You know, got muscles, right? Well, Job is buffed, B-U-F-T. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he turns away from evil. There's no one like this on the earth. I would love to be able to marry my daughters to somebody who's buffed, blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. I want my son to be that way too. So here's a guy who we need to look at. Why should I regard him? I mean, he doesn't... He doesn't have the world record in the 100-meter dash. And he doesn't have a 364 batting average for his whole lifetime. He doesn't own a mansion. He doesn't, we don't see him wearing cool clothes or anything like that. <clears throat> anything like that. Why should I imitate this man? Well, look at verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now listen to this. My brother, my fellow worker... My fellow soldier, your messenger, and your minister to my need. Wow. Now there's a thought. Five things that define this man, and all five of those things define a what? A Christian. Every Christian should be those five things. Those five things should identify what we're like. First of all, am I a brother or a sister? Second, am I a fellow worker? Not a worker, but a fellow worker. Not a soldier, but a fellow soldier. Am I a messenger? And am I a minister? Wonderful, wonderful terms. First, what is a Christian? First, a Christian is a brother. Paul says to Epaphroditus, my brother. This is a term of affection. Now listen to me, folks. <laughs> this is not part of his physical family. He's calling this man part of his spiritual family. And apart from the gospel, these two guys never get together. Never get together. Let's talk about what it means to be a brother or a sister or a mother in the family of God. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35, Jesus tells us what a brother or a sister or a mother is in the family of God. Now, in, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes out. He stayed up all night. He's picked his... 12 disciples, that they might, remember those, remember a few weeks ago, we said that he might be with them. To go out and minister next, but be with them. And so he's going to be with them. And so he goes to this house. He's all done picking these men. He comes to his house, and there's so many people. Remember, there's so many people crowded around that no one can get to him. His, his mother and his sisters and his brothers are outside. They're looking. They're seeking for him. They think he's lost his mind. They're going to come, and they're going to take him away. We're going to do what he needs to, you know, he needs some help. He's lost his mind. And so I don't know, you know, how we do the send little pieces of paper from, you know, outside to inside trying to get somebody's attention. They're telling people and they're telling people and it gets all the way to Jesus. And somebody finally says, behold, Jesus, your mother and your brothers, they're outside seeking you. And Jesus goes, who is my mother and my brothers? Now, they, they already think he's lost his mind. Now they know for sure he has because I don't even know who they are. And the Pharisees and the scribes are already saying that they think he has a demon, so now we know for sure. And then he says this, 
Behold, my mother and my brothers. And he points to everybody. And then he says this. For whoever does the will of God, that person is my brother. That person is my sister. And that person is my mother. So what defines a person who's in the family of God? The person who's in the family of God, listen, listen, easy, does the will of God. That's a sister. That's a mother. That's a brother in the family of God. Now, how does somebody come to know this will? How does somebody become a brother or a sister or a mother in the family of God? And this is how. By special revelation only. By the Word of God only. I, I sit with these kids. There's some of these kids know that, but I sit with them and I talk to them. I say, can you learn about Jesus Christ from looking at a tree? <laughs> you cannot does the tree preach Jesus Christ to you? No, you? no, it does not. Does the stream preach to you Jesus Christ? No, it does not. You only get this from God's Word, a special revelation from God's Word. And apart from a special revelation of God's Word, we never call anybody my brother. And we never call anybody my sister, especially these two men. Think about the Apostle Paul. We know he wasn't the Apostle Paul originally. He was Saul of Tarsus. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, you can read that. But he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Jew among all the Jews. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he would have called his own people sinners. <laughs> you're a bunch of sinners because you're not doing what I'm doing. You're not following the law the way I'm following it. And he would have definitely called Epaphroditus a what? A dog. He would have called him a Gentile heathen. And so, think about it even more. Um, Epaphroditus, his name is, it means belonging to Aphrodite. Whoever named him, names him some, your name means you belong to Aphrodite, the goddess of pleasure and human sexuality. I promise you, this Pharisee would have had nothing to do with Epaphroditus. But this Pharisee received a special revelation from God. Jesus Christ shows up on his front doorstep one day as he's on his way to Damascus. And he's going to go and kill or arrest people, bring them back. He's already had one killed. And so he's on his way to arrest more people. Jesus says, why are you persecuting who? Them or me? Me. Why are you persecuting me? And so Saul is guilty. Now, I want you to pay close attention. I think every time I've ever heard somebody preach this growing up, they said, this is where he was converted. He's converted on the road to Damascus. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Listen to me. He's under guilt. He's been condemned before the time. He's being judged before the great day of judgment. This is a good thing, folks, to feel guilty before that day. Feeling guilty on that day is a bad thing. So now he's guilty before Jesus and now he's being led by the hand all the way to Damascus. And somebody named Ananias is pricked by God. said, go preach to this guy. Really? No, I mean, he's a dangerous person. He says, no, go preach. Go preach to him. And so Ananias goes to him. And this is what he says. Brother Saul, while he's, while he's praying, while he's blind, receive your sight. And remember, the scales fall off from his eyes. And Ananias says, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see his, his righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay, Saul? Get up. And be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And he did it. 
and he was washed, and he was cleansed, and he became a, a brother in the family of God. Now think about Epaphroditus. Here's our Apostle Paul now. We're calling him Apostle Paul. And he goes to Philippi, and what does he do? He begins to preach the gospel. Does Epaphroditus become a Christian while Paul's preaching? We're not told. We don't know. Maybe he did. But there's one thing for sure. Paul doesn't call Epaphroditus my brother apart from the gospel. And Epaphroditus doesn't call Paul his brother apart from the gospel. Because apart from the gospel, that person's not of my kind. Are you with me? (laughs) Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we talk to our kind. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we only love our kind. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we only have coffee with our kind. We will not associate with somebody named Epaphroditus. But the gospel breaks down these barriers, doesn't it? The gospel eliminates the hostility between me and God. The gospel eliminates the hostility between me, Jew, and Gentile. And now I can call a guy who's named after Aphrodite my brother. Think about how that message might play out today. I'm not going to get into all that. But there's so much hostility today. The gospel of Jesus Christ allows me to talk to all these folks. What's a Christian? A Christian's a brother. A Christian's a sister. Somebody who does the will of God. Am I doing the will of God? Now, let me just say for an aside here. Why does Jesus, why didn't Jesus preach the gospel to the apostle Paul, to Saul when he was on the road to Damascus? Have you ever thought about that? Why is he just under judgment in front of Jesus? Isn't Acts teaching us that God is going to have a person have the gospel preached to them by an ordinary person? There's a thought for you. He received the message from an ordinary man. Why didn't God save the Ethiopian eunuch while he was just reading Isaiah 53? He could have. Why didn't he? Well, because God is showing us. He's going to catapult, send through parachute, Philip down in his chariot to preach the gospel to him. A deacon, an evangelistic deacon. He's showing us the preaching of the word. Why didn't the angel who appeared to Cornelius preach the gospel to him? Why did he say, you need to go send for this guy named Peter to preach the gospel to you? Because he's teaching us that we hear This special revelation through preaching. And this gospel, it may come to you and it may cause you to tremble like the Apostle Paul. It may cause you to feel guilty. It may cause you to feel the pollution of your sins. You may fall down on the ground. I don't know. I did. You may walk around wondering, how can I be saved? And you look to Christ and your sins are washed away. And you know that He's the only one who can save you and He's fit to bring you into the kingdom. Or you may... Like some of our kids hear the Word of God over and over and over at home, at morning, at noon, at dinner time. You come to church and the words are washing over you. And then slowly but surely you find yourself saying, you know, I'm I'm a Christian. I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. (laughs) My mama taught me. My grandmama taught me. I want to take the Lord's Supper. (laughs) I want it. All of it's just almost like a mystery. There's the blade, and there's the grain, and there's the grain in the, in the head, and it's all those wonderful things all working out 
It's all through a special revelation. This is how we call people like Saul, who cha- whose name's changed to Paul, a brother. And this is how we call Epaphroditus a brother. Well, second, what's a Christian? A Christian's a fellow worker. Maybe, maybe we should call uh, Epaphroditus a fellow workhorse. I'll show you why in a minute. Now, possibly this refers to his work with the Apostle Paul when Paul came to Philippi. Did he work with Paul when Paul was there? We don't know that. But surely it speaks of the work that he did between Philippi and going to Rome. There was an 800-mile trip from Philippi to Rome. This man was chosen by the church to take their gift of money all the way to Paul, 800 miles, back in those days, 42-day journey, six weeks. Now, you think about it. I used to be, when we lived in California, we'd get up from Houston, not Houston, California, and drive to San Francisco Airport, 90 minutes, get on the air, air, airplane, fly all the way to, to uh, Dallas Love Field, and that was three hours and 30 minutes. And then mom would pick me up and then drive me over to her house two hours. So that's about seven hours and so many minutes, 1,800 miles, all day long, right? 42 days of nothing but getting up and going and walking and journeying and danger, lots of work. Here is, here's this man, here's a, a fellow workhorse <laughs> taking this gift of money for the Philippian church to Paul. And surely it speaks of his work that he expended while he was there in Rome. Think about it. You know, have y'all read these stories about these guys who go commit crimes so they can get their teeth taken care of in, in prison? Have you read these stories where they go and they do a crime where they can go to prison and have medical help and then they just enough to get in so that they can be taken care of in a prison? This is not how it worked out in those days. You were chained between two folks and you had no food, no clothes. They didn't take care of any of these things for you. No dental. <laughs> well, I want to go get some dental, right? And so you got this guy who's sent by this church and he's there and he's going to provide and take care of Paul for them fellow laborer this didn't happen overnight does it fellow laboring workers laborers okay but fellow laboring that takes work you have to work at that and all of this we've been talking about if we have a woman's bible study at 10 o'clock and you choose as a woman to have the bible study for the for for yourself at one o'clock you're by yourself. You're not with them. If the men who have a Bible study at 9 o'clock, you come and you have the Bible study up here by yourself, that's not with them. That's being by yourself. <laughs> you see, it's called a fellow laborer. And we're sometimes so busy being self-interested, we're so busy having, can you imagine having craft night for the women and you're the only one invited? We're not talking about being alone. We're talking about being with each other. And sometimes we are so selfish. We're suspicious of each other. We don't like the fact that somebody has a little bit more gift in this area than me. So we stay away from each other. I read a book by uh, Milton Vincent. It's called A Christian Primer. And he says, you know, we have two real causes for selfishness. If you can listen to these things, there's two causes for selfishness. He says, number one, it's fear. 
I'm afraid if I don't love myself, nobody will love me. Number one, fear. I'm afraid that if I don't love myself, nobody will love me. And number two, here's the other one. I feel that I am the only one deserving of such love that I must give it to myself. I am the supreme person who needs to be loved. So I'm afraid if I don't love myself, nobody will love me. And number two, I see myself as the ultimate object to be loved. He says this, but if we listen to the gospel and we understand the gospel, our selfishness is removed. First of all, the gospel assures us that God loves us infinitely more than we could ever love ourselves. So that removes all fear. <laughs> what does it say in John three sixteen? Everybody says, for God so loved the world. Infinite degree of love. Can you love yourself as much as God can love you? God demonstrates his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. This is love. This is infinite love. So don't worry about being or afraid of not being loved. You are loved, number one. That takes care of the gospel, takes care of your fear. Number two, if I, I am learning, listen, I am learning that God is so awesome. God is so wonderful. God is so infinite. In fact, Yesterday we were up here, and Eric Green, I, I was thinking he might be here today, but I guess he's not. But uh, Eric read to us, we listened to him preach a sermon, and he read these words to us. He said, Hebrews 1, 3, And he, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Just think about that. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God the Father's nature. And if you and I are captured by this infinite God, if we're captured by who Jesus is, if we're captured by the fact that He's the radiance of God in human flesh, we're lured away from loving ourselves to loving Him and we forget who we are. So the selfishness goes away. And so if I'm not afraid of not being loved because i got somebody who loves me so much and I'm going to sit here and worry about loving myself supremely because there's an object out there, there's a person out there who's so much more lovable than I am. And it's God, it's Jesus Christ. God gives us His Son, Jesus. And so when I start pouring out my love on Jesus, I forget myself and I find myself working with other people. And I become a, not a worker, but a fellow worker. A work, not a worker, but a fellow worker. And that's what we have in Epaphroditus. Number three, what's a Christian? Third, a Christian is a fellow soldier. Now, the Apostle Paul's sitting there chained between these two Praetorian guards. And remember, they're really crack soldiers. And surely they, they talk about their camaraderie as men. I'm sure he heard that. These men go to battle. These men have battle plans. These men eat together. These men talk together. And surely you can see that camaraderie developing between the apostle and Epaphroditus. Here he is serving Paul. Here he is underneath uh, Nero's nose, if you will, wondering if Paul will lose his head one day to the next. And he's right there with him. He's right there serving, right there together. They're in the same foxhole. A Christian is a brother. A Christian is a fellow worker. A Christian is a fellow soldier. And you and I, we've been called to do battle with the world of flesh and the devil. Think about this man's soldiering. This is some powerful soldiering this man's doing for the apostle. Arduous work. 
And you and I, we must put the gospel armor on. We're not struggling against the flesh and against the blood of men, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The Apostle Paul tells us to put on every part of God's armor with prayer. Gird up your feet with the gospel of peace. You and I, we are to gird up our lo the loins of our minds with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. You and I are to put on the helmet of salvation and we're to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Can you wait with Jesus one hour? That's what he says. He says, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. And so you and I, we're to be on the alert. There's a story about being alert in Genesis chapter, I mean, uh, Judges chapter 7. God told Gideon that he was going to select the troops to go out and battle against the Midianites. And there were 32,000 guys there. And God says, that's too many. It's too many. Because if we go out, if you guys go out with 32,000, they'll think that they delivered themselves and not me. So he says, tell, tell all the guys, everybody who's afraid, uh, you just need to leave. If you're afraid to go into battle, leave. 22,000 left. There's 10,000 left. So he says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take them down to the water. I'm going to give them an exam. Give them, a give them a test. I want you to think about it now. They're down by the water, and they're all thinking, what, what test are we going to have? And so they got the guys throwing the javelin, and they're practicing their javelin throwing. And I want you to think about Masala and Judah Ben-Hur in the movie where they come into Judah Ben-Hur's house and they take the javelins and they throw the javelin between the two beams. They, they pound it right in the middle. They're so good. They're so good at it. So you got men out there practicing the javelin. And you got men out there like Russell Crowe and Gladiators who's taking out their swords and they're doing their sword play. And you're thinking, man, what are the, what, what's, God, what's the test going to be? And God says, tell them to all go down there and drink by the water hole. And so there's these guys that go down there, 9,700 of them go down and put their heads, their faces in the water and drink water like dogs. And then there's 300 of them who literally get on their knees and take water up and bring it up to their mouths. And God says, those are the 300 that are going to go into battle for me. They're the ones who are what? Alert. They're alert. They're alert even down by the water hole. Men, are you on the alert when you're going to the water hole? Ladies, are we on the alert when we go down by the water hole? Good Shepherd OPC, put on the armor and stay alert. Stay alert. The devil's not taking a day off. The devil's not taking a holiday. So you put on Jesus Christ and you stay on the alert. And don't just be a soldier, but be a fellow soldier with all these other soldiers. Fourth, what's a Christian? Christian's a messenger. Now, this is really fascinating. The word here, messenger, can be is, is the uh, Greek word for apostle. <laughs> this is your apostle. Really? Oh, well, he's not an apostle like Paul. But remember, we've talked about that before. There's capital A apostles and there's little, capital, little A apostles. So the apostle Paul, he's apostle chosen by Jesus Christ. He's apostle. He's going to write down the words of God and they're going to be found in the scriptures. And there's only 11 more of these men besides the Apostle Paul. And once the Apostle John dies, there's no more capital A apostles. But this apostle has been sent, little a, by the church. This apostle has the authority of the church. He's under their authority. 
And so he is to be their chosen man to go and deliver their money and to deliver their service through him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So there, there's this man under authority. Now last week we baptized some children. And all of this being under authority stuff, it all starts in the home. Doesn't it? So we place this water on these kids and we tell these children, listen, this water calls you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God says, I will be a God to you when you put your faith and trust in my son. And it all starts by being under authority. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It all starts at home. And so here we are at home, mom and dad. You say, mom and dad, I'm, I'm, uh, I want to be a Christian. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things, and we've got parents here, I could ask them. But uh, I've been in so many homes lately, and I said, I asked the kids, I go, so can you show me some places where you're obeying God? What do you mean? Well, can you show me some places where you obey your parents? Because you see, Christians are, little Christians are under their parents' authority. And they obey their parents. And so parents says, okay, son, I want you to go take the garbage out. All right, well, that means go up to the second floor and take garbage out of all the little trash cans. And if a piece of trash falls behind, you know, the desk, you don't sit there and go, oh, I have to pick that up. You pick it up. And you go downstairs and you pick up all the trash on the first floor. You take it out and you put it in the bin. And the final destination is beside the road. (laughs) Did you do all of that? That's a, that's a young person who's saying, hey, I love Jesus Christ. I'm going to obey. I'm under authority. The same thing could be said about girls and dishes, right? Or guys, too, and dishes. I do dishes. I did dishes this week. Ask my wife. So you get all the dishes out and you put them, you know, I'm such a man. I put all the coffee cups in the top and I put, all the, I put it all where it goes. And all the plates go at the bottom. And I get frustrated because it doesn't fit the way I want it to. But then you're supposed to put the pill in there, and then you close it and you push the button. Did we do all of that God wants us to do? We're men, we're women, we're to be under authority. If I'm a putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what's the sign of that? I'm doing the will of God. I'm a brother. Your minister is a man under authority. Your elders in the future and your deacons in the future will be men under authority. And if you've taken the vows for membership in the church, you're people who placed yourself under the government of the church. We're about men and women under authority. What would you think about Epaphroditus, this man who's under the church's authority, if he takes a little bit of the money and he goes to the casino and plays with some of it at the casino? Well, you'd think he's a scoundrel. You would call him a scoundrel. Men and women under authority, we obey the word of God in our homes. We obey, let's back up. We obey the word of God in our hearts. We obey the word of God in our homes. We obey the word of God when we play the organ. We obey the word of God, right? When we move, which we don't want you to move, but you're going to move, and I'm going to have to just deal with it, right? But we obey the word of God, right? All the time. Well, finally, what's a Christian? He calls him a minister. This is really cool. These Philippians, they send the man to bring a gift, and they send the man to be a gift. The man's the gift. They bring, he brings the money, but he's a gift too. 
And what's he doing there? He's providing for them. The word minister there, it means he provides for them a religious service. He's a living sacrifice. He's a living sacrifice. Don't, don't y'all remember what it says in Romans 12, that we're to be living sacrifices? So here's a living sacrifice from Philippi, the church. They're 800 miles away. They can't be there. They can't do all the things, but they can send their guy who can do things for them in their place. And ultimately, in giving their guy and giving their money, they're giving themselves not just to Paul, but they're giving themselves to God. This is a great, great thought. <laughs> That's some great, great stuff there. What's a Christian? A Christian is a brother who does the will of God, a fellow worker who's not self, selfish but selfless, a fellow soldier who fights with other brothers and sisters, under authority as a messenger and a minister, a living sacrifice. Well, that brings us to the Lord's Supper this morning, and I have the privilege to invite you to it. Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. He took wine, he did exactly the same thing, except he didn't break the cup, because you don't break cups. And then he served the Lord's Supper. He gave it to his disciples. And we've defined this morning what a disciple is. We've said a disciple is a brother. We've said a disciple is a fellow worker, fellow soldier, a minister, and a messenger. Do those terms define you? Because that's who's invited to the supper this morning. If you don't know what we're doing, I'm going to ask that you let the trace pass you by. But I would like for you to think about what it means to be a brother, and what it is to be a sister. Do the will of God. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Have your sins washed away, and then we'll talk about eating and drinking in the future. We have covenant young people who are thinking about taking this meal sometime. It's good to want to take the supper. And if you want to, let's talk about getting ready to do so in the future. But be encouraged that even if you don't take it today, be encouraged that you are looking to Jesus and wanting to, and let's talk about it later. But for all of you this morning, we are told that we are to examine our hearts before we partake. I'm just going to ask you one question. How much do you want Christ? Do you need Him? Are you sufficient? Are you satisfied with yourself? I'm not. Do you need Christ? He offers Himself to you again today. Take what He gives. Take this bread. Take this cup. Eat it. Drink it. And be spiritually satisfied with the grace that's given to you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You and we praise You for loving us. We thank You for the opportunity to hear Your Word. We thank You that You have taught us what a Christian is. Lord, we Christians, we are those who are on a big journey like Epaphroditus who was traveling from Philippi all the way to Rome to minister. And Lord, we pray that as we think about even that story itself, what a hardship and what a labor, and yet what love there was that uh, he expressed not only to Paul but to you. Father, we praise you that Jesus comes to us in this meal and he offers himself to us anew and afresh. And we get the opportunity to take from His hand both the bread and the cup and renew the covenant with, with Him. Strengthen us now to do this. 
Help us, Lord, we pray that you'll set these elements apart from their common and sacred use and that we might glorify you and you would do us good as we eat and drink. Here now, we pray in Jesus' name.